Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the gathering today. Remember, we have our brand new app out on the App Store and Google Play. Go review it, go download it. It makes the world of a difference. But now, without further ado, turn up your earphones, crank up those speakers, grab your Bible, and get ready for a word from Grant Reynolds. In 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote probably one of the most renowned books of all time. He wrote The Strange Story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The Strange Story of of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And we all know this story at some point. I remember the VeggieTales version where it, it was like he was trying to, he wanted to dance. Did anybody else watch VeggieTales growing up? Okay, listen, do you remember this one where Larry the Cucumber, well, it wasn't, no, who was it? It wasn't Larry the Cucumber. It was like the, this weird squash thing. And he wanted to dance. And so he'd go out and he had an afro and he would dance. And it was like Dr. something and Mr. Clyde. I don't know. It was, it was super silly. But we've all heard this story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We've all heard this story. And it's a story that goes in and digs into the duality of humanity. Right? It, it, it digs into this idea that Human nature is really evil, and we're all in this constant battle and fight between good and bad. We're always in this constant fight of who are we going to be? Are we going to be Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? And if you read some of the descriptions about the story, one of the things it says is Dr. Jekyll has to face the consequences of his actions. He has to face the consequences of his actions. But in today's society and in today's world, facing the consequences of our actions is not generally something we like to talk about. Generally in our world and in our culture, it's all built around telling you that you're not nearly as bad as you think you are. Right? Everything that we do, everything that we have in culture today wants to tell you that you are innately good. That you on the inside, you were not born to hate, you were not born evil, you were not born to sin, but that you were born good. And that you came out of that place and you were taught to sin. And it's this idea that you really aren't that bad. And if you could just realize how good you are, then you'll be able to pull yourself forward. And you can conquer whatever you face because you can realize on the very inside how good you really are. And that's what culture tries to tell us. And part of that comes out in in postmodernism. It comes out in in relativism and moral relativism because it says, my truth can be whatever I want it to be. Why? Because I am innately good. If I'm not innately good, then I cannot determine truth. And so we have all of these things in society as we've steered away from saying truth is truth no matter what. To truth is whatever you want it to be. And it becomes this interesting cycle. And before we know it, we're no longer like Robert Louis Stevenson from 1886, fighting our Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and having a battle on the inside. We're no longer like that. Instead, we're fully and completely embracing Dr. Jekyll and pretending Mr. Hyde does not exist. But that's not scriptural. I hate to break it to you. That is not the Bible. That is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. 
Listen, if somebody has not told you yet today, you are as messed up as the person next to you. And I'm as messed up as any of you. You are all born sinners. You are all born, we all are. We were all born designed not by God. This is clear, you need to understand this. We were all designed to sin, not by God, but because of systemic sin and the cycle of futility and death that sin introduced into our world. God intended for you not to sin, but thanks to sin, you became sinful. You didn't have a choice. I'm sorry. There's that Nelson Mandela quote that talks about nobody was born to hate, but instead you were all taught to hate. And that's a lie. You were all born to hate. You're taught grace. Every single one of us is born in sin. Don't believe me? Psalm 51. It says every single person was born wicked. See, and that's the beauty of the gospel. Why would we need the gospel if we were not wicked? Why would we need a savior if we were not first in need of a savior? Why would Jesus come if we were not broken and hopeless? The thing is, though, more often than not, we walk around like the Pharisees acting like we're not and we have it all together. And then we wonder why everybody on the outside of these four walls thinks we're all hypocrites. Because we are. We preach a gospel of grace, but we won't even look into the face of our own sin. It's a hard word tonight, y'all. Because the gospel is this, and Tim Keller says it beautifully. We are more wicked than we dare admit. But we are more loved than we could ever hope or dream at the same time. By saying that you're good and you were designed innately to be good, you are taking the power and the glory and the magnitude of what Jesus did and placing it on your own shoulders. And that's what our society is doing. It's constantly this situation. But Paul starts in this book of Philippians Writing to the church, because the church has just experienced Jesus, all right? Jesus just came, did his whole thing, and is now gone. And the church is trying to figure it out. How do we be a church without Jesus? Like, we're called Christians, but our boy is gone. And so there was a lot of confusion on what does this look like. And then there was incredible persecution by the Roman Empire. There was persecution by the Jewish people. They were hated people. Does that sound familiar? And so Paul writes in this book of Philippians, and I've titled this message series, Letters from the Battleground. Because the early church was a battleground. In every sense of the name, it was a battleground. Quite literally, people were being taken and killed, crucified on crosses on the way into the city so people could see this is what happens when you become a Christian. Yet the church was exploding faster than any church is exploding today. In the midst of incredible persecution and pain, the church was going and thriving. 
And so we sit today and we look at America and we wonder, where is the church? I wish we could just have the church of Acts. I wish we could just have a church. And I, I put it on Facebook. I said, what does the church look like to you? And everything was really cool. And, and somebody said the book of Acts. And I love that. But if we ever want to truly have an authentic church, we have to face the first thing. And that is our own sinful nature. We have to face it because if we do not face our sinful nature, there's no way that we can accept grace. There's no way that we can accept grace if you're still holding on to what you think is your own goodness. You swap it out. When you accept grace, you're taking what you're holding, which is what you think is good. This is who you are. I'm innately good. And when you accept grace, you're saying, I'm going to hand you what I think about myself and accept who you say that I truly am. Regardless of what goes on around me. Something that is rooted in truth, and I'm going to accept that instead. But it's scary because in the middle of that handoff exchange, you are subjected to your sinful nature, looking face to face at who you are. Looking face to face with your Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. So if you have your Bible, I want to jump in because over the next month of November, we're going to go through the book of Philippians. Because he's writing to the church on how the church should operate in the midst of persecution, in the midst of heart. If you want to see the church grow today, then you need to do what Paul told them to do yesterday. If you want to see the church grow and expand and people come to Jesus and get to know the gospel, then you need to dig in and see what were they saying that the church needed to do. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to study the letters from the battleground. Because this was a letter written from Paul to Christians on the battleground of faith. So, being the first week, open up to chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And it goes like this. It says, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. He's saying to the church. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or if I am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Paul is writing to them, saying, listen, I get it. Life sucks. Do you need somebody? Listen, I will sit with you and I will agree. Life sucks. People can be mean. Stuff is hard. But we can't sit there and have a pity party. Paul is sitting here and he's saying, listen, guess what? I get it. I see it. I know it. There are days that I wish that I could just die and be with Jesus because I know what's coming. The pain and the torture. This is the guy that was thrown in jail, shipwrecked, beaten up. This is Paul. 
facing more physical pain and torture than you and I will hopefully ever face in our lives. And yet he's still saying, guess what? I know and I realize the situation that I am in, but I also know that it is better for me to be here with you to take the gospel and continue to move it forward. You are called with a mandate to move the gospel forward. You are called with a mandate to move the gospel of Jesus Christ farther than it has been from when you came into this earth. That's part of why you're here. That's why it's called the Great Commission. Because we are commissioned to go out, not just stay in. But in order to do that, Paul looks at this and he says, listen, we have to understand something. There is only one way that we can do this, and that is by righteousness. See, he understands there's this issue here of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He understands there's this selfish desire that I just want to die and be done. I no longer want to face people that have hurt me. I no longer want to go through situations in life that suck. I no longer want to face hurt and pain of this life. I just want to be done and hide in my Christian little bubble with my Christian bumper sticker, with my Christian t-shirt, doing my Christian things, never talking to somebody that's hurting. Because it's safer. It's easier to just find ourselves in a little bubble and just say, let me just hold on until Jesus comes. Still not here. Nope. Jesus. Dang it. And we just hide. And what's happening is, is while we're hiding, there's people that are walking past you, broken and hurting, facing pain without hope. Facing this life without the hope that you have, knowing that Jesus is coming, that you get to be with him for an eternity, that hope that you're crouching in the fetal position for. They don't have. And you hold the key. To unleashing them from the prison of hopelessness. But you have to encounter yourself. And you have to look at your own Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And look and see where am I? What am I doing? Let me face my own selfish desires and everything that I have. And instead strive for the gospel. So what does... The gospel, what does grace, what does righteousness all have to do with each other? Because we hear all of these, these terms thrown around, but rarely do we see them intermeshed and interwoven together. The gospel is the fact that we can look at our own sin, accept grace, and walk in righteousness. You don't have to walk like Mr. Hyde. You can look at Mr. Hyde, acknowledge Mr. Hyde. In fact, you have to in order to accept grace. But then you can walk like Dr. Jekyll. You can walk like the person that God intended you to be, that God called you, the name that he calls you, not the name the enemy calls you. There's a difference there. Being able to have the power of the gospel to be able to look at your sin but not be enslaved by it. Look at who you are without falling into hopelessness because you know who Jesus is calling you to be. It's almost this dance that keeps happening. 
And so Paul is writing in here to them. He's encouraging them. He is saying, listen to me. Even though I've been through everything I've been through and I will continue to go through more, I know that the gospel is worth it all. So let me just encourage you on how to live your life, embracing who God has called you to be. And he shows us how to do that. Number one, I'm going to go through these really quick, write them down. Number one, seek righteousness. Seek righteousness. It says this, live your life, in verse 27, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. You have to seek the righteousness of God if you want to carry the gospel of Jesus. How are you supposed to carry the gospel of Jesus to somebody if you're still over here acting like you used to before you ever encountered the gospel? People just got real quiet. How are you going to bring the good news of life, resurrection, happiness, and hope if you're still back here bound by anxiety and depression? How are you going to preach a gospel of joy and peace if you're still back here in chaos and panic? It doesn't make a lot of sense. If we ignore all of these things that have been holding us and pushing us down and just say, well, I'm just going to yell the name of Jesus and I'm just going to have this big moment and emotional experience and I'm never going to face these things that are really holding me back. Jesus is saying, listen, we're going to have a great time doing this thing called the gospel together. But first, we need to get rid of this stuff. So that way, when you bring the gospel It's completely pure and it's innocent. You're seeking righteousness. You're living in such a way that embodies the gospel. So seek righteousness. Number two, stand firm together. Stand firm together. It says this in continuing down in in verse 27. It says, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith. If there is one thing that will hijack the gospel of grace, it is disunity. If there is one thing that will throw a wrench in this whole system, it's disunity. Because grace is a message that comes in and says no matter what your color, no matter your gender, no matter your age, no matter your background, No matter your sin, no matter where you're going, where you've come, or where you are, you're all welcome into the the family of Jesus Christ. If you would just say that I believe and I love you. And the moment that we let something come in and create strife, it breaks that entire family unit apart. And no longer is it a place where we can come in and say you are truly belonging. You truly have belonging here. Because we can't even understand how to live together in unity. Why would anybody want to come to a church that looks just like the thing they came out of? But with more rules and regulations and sometimes even more hate. It's a little confusing to people. I get it. Why would I give up all of the fun things that I can do in life to come be with a bunch of chosen frozen people who don't believe in having fun and are backstabbing and hateful. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what we have to do is we have to, one, seek righteousness, 
So that way we live our lives in such a way that we don't fall, fall sin. What we are made, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. You need to operate and be able to operate in a bar without getting sloshed. You need to be able to be able to go into environments and situations and bring the light of the gospel without becoming subject to the darkness around you. I'm going to say that you have to be able to walk into environments and bring the light of the gospel without becoming subject to them. You have to be able to do that. Otherwise, when you invite people into this family, they're not going to get it or understand it because they're going to come in and experience disunity and strife. So we have to stand firm together in this fight for righteousness. We have to stand together, willing to go the distance when we encounter each other's sin. Apply grace first every time. In Galatians, it says that if any man is caught in any transgression, not in some transgressions, not in a couple transgressions, uh, well, you know, these transgressions except for these because these are the serious transgressions. No, it says any transgression... Build them back up. Restore them with a spirit of gentleness. But only those of you who are spiritual. Only those, if you are not living your life in a righteous way, then don't you dare try to correct somebody else. I say that with so much love from the bottom of my heart. If you're out talking bad about somebody because they're smoking a cigarette or getting a drink at a bar, but you're gossiping and speaking ill about somebody else and ignoring the homeless man on the street, then you're not living the gospel at all. You're just as bad as the Pharisees that killed Jesus. We have to seek righteousness and stand firm together, applying grace first every single time. Every single time. Because that's what Jesus did. Number three, and lastly, we have to strive for the gospel. We have to strive for the gospel. The gospel does not need our help. It's perfectly good on its own. I am never going to say something original or profound. Because it's all already written right here. All of the profound sayings are already taken. But what I can do is strive to live my life in a way that submits to the gospel. And the words that are spoken out of my mouth come from the gospel. And some people may say, oh, that's profound, Pastor. They may hear you talking and give some advice. You're out with somebody. I mean, this happens all the time. You'd be sitting and talking to people um, that aren't saved, aren't, you know, aren't Christians, don't do the church thing. And give some advice or you give a leadership principle and they're like, oh, wow, like that is so good. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus said it. I mean, there's a lady, I'm going to close with this. And band, you don't need to come back up. There was a lady that uh, used to cut my hair. 
and um, she was great. But she would cut my hair, and through conversations, she found out I was a pastor and this, that, and the other thing. And she got super awkward when she found that out and was like, yeah, I'm going to try to go to church soon. I was like, listen, don't worry about it. That's the last thing that I want you to do. I just want you to sit here and enjoy cutting my hair. That's what I want you to do right now. Never invited her to church one time. I could care less. All I wanted to do was be able to be her friend. That's that's the only place I wanted to start. And through that place, she began to open up and she began to talk a little bit about her life and where she's been. And I found out she has never once read the Bible. Never once. She never once opened the Bible. And so do you know what started to happen? She started to ask me questions. And then I had the incredible honor and privilege to every single time I went in to get my hair cut to sit. And she would say, tell me another one of those stories. And I would just sit there getting my hair cut, telling stories from the Bible. I told them all. Not all of them. There's a lot of them. I told all the major ones, you know. I talked about David and Goliath. Talked about Noah and the ark. Talked about the Old Testament. Talked about Jesus. Except I think my favorite thing one day was that I was telling her a story. And she said, who said that? Because that sounds like a lot of the things that I really believe. And and a lot of the things that I, I believe in my life. And like we're very similar. And like who said that? Where did that come from? I said, that was Jesus. Jesus said that. And there are people in your life that you need to be less focused on trying to bring them to church and fix them and more just become more focused on being their friend. She has never once come to church. But we walked our way through as much of this book as we could until she moved. She asked questions. When her, when her fiancé was deployed and she found out that he wasn't going to be coming back, do you know who she talked to first? Do you know who prayed with her right there in the middle of the barber shop? Do you know who held her when she was crying because she was scared? That is striving to live the gospel. I did not bring anything new to the table. You've heard the stories of Gulion, my man, the homeless guy in downtown Norfolk that we chased down for like two hours. You've heard these crazy stories. I bring nothing to the table except the gospel. Except the gospel. And so we have to say, I am willing to seek righteousness. Stand firm together, applying grace first every time. Building a family of unity so it's a safe place for people who are broken when we do bring them in. And striving to live the gospel every single day.
That is how you're able to look at your Mr. Hyde right in the face and walk forward into tomorrow as Dr. Jekyll. That's this week's word. We're so thankful that you decided to join the gathering today. We are the gathering and we're so grateful for you. Remember, go download the app, Google Play, Apple Store, share it, review it. It makes a huge difference. God bless and remember, let love echo.